0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge of Wharton.
1: This is Knowledge of Wharton, and you're listening to Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. The International Olympic Committee has banned Russia from the 2018 Winter Games in South Korea. What this means is that the Russian flag will not be flown anywhere during the Olympics. You won't hear their national anthem. Government officials cannot attend as well. But Russian athletes will still have the opportunity to take part in the games under one important caveat. They must clear all drug testing prior to the games getting underway. Any athlete doing so will be able to compete in a neutral uniform. And this all comes from the doping scandals involving the country, which have been well documented. To discuss the impact of this, we welcome in Bob Bolin, who is the Athletics Integrity Officer at Penn State University. He's also a former NFL agent, and he's well-versed on the business and law of sport. And also Andrew Zimbalist, who's Professor of Economics at Smith College and the author of several books about the business of the Olympic Games. Bob, Andrew, great to have you both back with us today. Thank you for your time. Thank,
0: Thank you. Dan. With you.
1: Thank you. I, I guess, Andrew, start with you. Your reaction to this news and what impact do you see this having?
0: Well, I'm uh, in the unusual position of uh, feeling supportive of of this move by the IOC. Um, There are some people who think they could have been harsher, but I I think it's important for there to be two messages here. One message is a complete condemnation of the systemic uh, violations of of doping principles by by the Russian Olympic Committee. and number 2 that the individual athletes who have not participated and is and for which there's a clear record of ha- not having participated in the doping for those athletes not to be penalized of course several of the athletes who will be partic- or who might participate from russia in the winter olympics this coming february um back at the time of sochi were 12 13 years old and had no connection at all to what was going on so I, I think it's it's basically an appropriate measure, and it's a measure that the IOC had to take because it's been experiencing um, a rapid decline in in their reputation, and they really knew about this before the Sochi, uh, excuse me, before the Rio Olympics, and they let the Russian team participate there. So I, I think they're trying to redeem themselves, uh, and probably to a small measure, they're they're successful in that. Bob.
2: I think this has world-reaching implications way beyond sport. Um, if they said in the in the in the years leading up to the up to World War II, uh, the war was diplomacy by other means. In the years after World War II, sport has been diplomacy by other means. And this is a decision that really dramatically affects uh, Vladimir Putin his standing in the world, and it has incredible impact and, and will probably be met with a lot of. Uh, a lot of shenanigans around around what Russia does in and out of the games over the next year or so. And I, I think to some degree they're meddling in the U.S. election, however well-proven or unproven it may be, um, has a lot to do with what, their their implication of their, their drug suspension of their track team in Rio. So this has got a lot of implication. I agree with Professor Zimbalist. It's, it's It's a bold step but it's also an appropriate step by the IOC, but it's one that'll feel a great number of repercussions.
1: It it is interesting, Andrew, the fact that that the IOC is basically trying to make a distinction between what Russia did and the, the shenanigans around their doping program and what the athletes did and not realistically penalizing athletes who now are living by the letter of the law.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, you know, and let's, let's remember, as we condemn Russia or the Russian uh, Olympic Committee for their behavior in the past, this, this is an ongoing problem. Uh, doping is, is practiced uh, widely by individual athletes throughout the world. It's been practiced by U.S. athletes in the past, Lance Armstrong, Marion Jones, and others. Uh, the problem is not going to go away. There are micro-dosing techniques, there are masking techniques. And this is just one, one small step, one small measure, and uh, ongoing vigilance and, and stern policy, I think, have to continue. Bob?
2: I, I think this is also a place where the IOC is, is, is
0: leading the world's uh,
2: governing bodies in, in, in a variety of ways with this step. They say they're not going to tolerate it. And if you think about it, there's probably no country in the world who, who participation in the Olympics or in the Winter Olympics is more important than it is to Russia so from a variety of, a variety of sense, standpoints, this is a very important step. I think appropriately they're separating the athletes out, which, which sort of separates the people from the problem. And I think they are saying something very powerful that, that maybe the world leaders aren't saying as strongly in, in condemnation of certain bad acts.
1: Well, I guess, Bob, do, do we know the timing element in terms of these athletes when they have to clear these tests? I would think it probably has to be as, as close to the games as possible uh, to prevent anything happening beyond that point,
2: correct? Yeah, and, and in the cycle going into the Olympics as well, same as they did in Rio, that, that athletes who had tested positive at neutral laboratories will be will be clear and then be able to compete under a new, under the Olympic flag again. So it's, I, a, it's a long-term testing program that, they, Dan, that, yeah. they, that they're probably insurance of.
0: Andrew? Yeah, Dan, so I, I'd like to just mention one other connection I think is very important here, which is that Russia is scheduled this coming summer, 2018, to be the host of the World Cup. And right, yep. that the, the, the fellow who is the head of the World Cup organizing committee, Vitaly Mutko, uh, and he's also Russian deputy prime minister uh, for sport, and he has been suspended for life by the IOC. Now, FIFA is left with a very interesting dilemma here. Um, what, what do they say about Russian hosting the games? And, and do they allow the, the traditional exemption for the, the team from the host country to participate in, in the World Cup uh, competition? Uh, there, there's, there's no easy answers here, and, and FIFA probably has a lower reputation, a worse <laughs> reputation than, than, than e- e- even the IOC. I,
1: I was going to say, FIFA's got this problem in amongst the 50 others right. that that they have to <laughs> deal with right now. Yeah, We are joined by uh, Andrew Zimbalis of Smith College, Bob Bolin of Penn State University. Your comments are welcome at 844 Wharton eight four four nine four two seven eight six six, Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my. My Twitter account, which is at danloney twenty I- one. I ask you both, and, and Andrew, I'll start with you. Do you do you think we are getting closer to a point where these types of athletic events we can we can actually realistically expect our athletes to be drug free at this point?
0: Uh, well, we can expect it. Uh, w- whether or not it will happen is is another question. I I think that there are so many opportunities now to um, fraudulently participate in, in the use of drugs. Uh, there's so many ways to uh, uh, to time the use of drugs, to take micro doses, to mask, to use masking agents. Um, it's it's very hard to imagine that we're close enough in our scientific knowledge and in our surveillance uh, capabilities to be able to eradicate the use of drugs. So I think we simply have to assume uh, that it's it's going to be a problem going forward and there has to be ongoing vigilance. Bob?
2: The, the te- Professor Zimbals is right again. The testers are always going to be behind the
0: testees um,
2: in, in, in understanding and, and, and looking for what we've been able to effectively close over the last decade or so is by holding samples historically, yep. by going back and retesting. We have at least some historical credibility. And I think the key word, and, 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 and Professor Zimbals used it pretty well is fraudulent. I, I think the idea that athletes will, will approach an edge to try to gain an edge is different than wholesale, state-oriented uh, programs that, that, that cover mask and, and allow doping. And I think that's one of the things we're moving toward that assurance of. Perfect World, we, we can't really guarantee this, but I think we are trying to, and I think this set by the IOC is, is well-timed and appropriate, it's taking out that that state that state influence for doing it because for Vladimir Putin and, and 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 very much of what his statecraft is about, it's about the Russian symbol at the Olympics, and it means something to him. He's losing that opportunity because of it.
1: Well, let me let me ask you this then, Andrew. I mean, where do you think we would be? If we didn't have this scandal and we didn't have the 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 Icarus film that that came out as well, I mean, would we basically still continue to be going down the same path that we really realistically have been for for the last several decades?
0: Well, you know, it all, <laughs> Unfortunately, it it always helps out when there are a few um, extant viol or extreme violations uh, of policy. Right. Um, and uh, you know, the other thing is that the. You know, in some, in some measure, when, when the IOC gets this publicity, and obviously it's negative publicity, although they, they do get a little redemption by taking the policy. When you get publicity like this, uh, it, it's publicity. And publicity <laughs> generally uh, increases interest uh, of, of the fans. It calls attention to, to the forthcoming games. And, and probably, it, 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 you know, it's, it's good for the IOC in, in that regard. Um, all of the extreme publicity that the United States has had over the last couple of months about uh, uh, sexual harassment uh, it 's actually uh, al- although you know it's it's it 's ugly news it 's actually probably good for changing the culture a little bit around it so Publicity, however negative it is, it usually has some, uh, dialectically speaking, positive elements to it.
1: Well, Bob, there's there's also another a little interesting angle to this in the fact that apparently uh, not only will the, the Russian athletes be impacted by this, that the Paralympic athletes could be uh, impacted by this as well.
2: Yeah, and, and that hadn't really been dealt with in the past, so this is affecting... This is affecting both both the Winter Games and the Winter Paralympic Games, and that is a big issue moving forward um, because that one had not not reached it. it. If we think about the scope and size of the of the of the Olympics, they are they are a massive undertaking. The Winter Games much smaller than the Summer Games, but still massive undertaking when you add the Paragames to it. And to a country that's you know under the threat of uh, under the threat of war. Uh, in South Korea, these games uh, have a lot riding on them in fact to some degree maybe there's the viability and future of the Olympic movement so a lot of success here but also a lot of a lot of room for trepidation
0: well yeah. since, since Bob has mentioned the games themselves in Pyeongchang um, it, it's important to remember that that this is reproducing a pattern that's been very common In in the Olympic Games over the decades and and most prominently in the last several games, which is that these games were supposed to cost $6 billion and they're already over $13 billion in budget. Uh, they had to chop down an ancient forest uh, to make way for the Olympic ski run, hmm. and ticket sales have been awful uh, w- way way beyond what what the projections were so the games in and of themselves are are going to be a very interesting challenge for both South Korea. And and for the IOC,
1: well, we have talked to, with this uh, about this with you before, Andrew, and I think it bears repeating: is the fact of whether or not we are starting to get to a point where these Olympic Games, to a degree similar to to the World Cup, really should be held in just if they're going to hold them, hold them in a couple of different locations and don't go outside of that. In terms of looking at at new locations to to build all these different venues, because as we've seen from some of the Summer Olympics, uh, a lot of these venues and, and to a degree in Sochi, a lot of these venues have gone unused and dormant since the the games were actually there, and they 've become an actual actual waste
0: yeah, and the most recent example of course is Rio, where the entire Olympic village is is sitting idle now and and so it's this is a this is a financial uh, generally speaking, it's a financial disaster. It's an environmental disaster. Uh, it can be a political disaster. It can be a social disaster. There are only, oh, over 70,000 favelados, people who live in in shanty towns in Rio, who were evicted from their homes in order to build the the roads and and the venues to serve the Olympics in 2016. So it it does make a lot of sense, I think, to step backward. And, and look at this model that was created back in 1896 about moving the Olympics around every four years. Uh, that was at a time period, of course, in world history when there wasn't international telecommunications and there wasn't international jet travel. Uh, and and so there there are a lot of ways of... Uh, enabling the population of the world to to view and participate directly in the Olympics without moving the games around every four years and having a new city spend uh, uh, fifteen or twenty billion dollars and, and use up uh, use up 5,000 or 6,000 or 7,000 uh, acres of scarce urban real estate.
1: Well, and Bob, that's that's also, as we alluded to, that's being brought up surrounding the World Cup, and when you think about what the World Cup has become over the last few years and the growth of that event, you could do this uh, a similar type of prospect where you include the United States and, and England and France and, and Germany and maybe Spain, uh, and, and the fact that you know we're looking at a World Cup in 2026 that may have a combined bid between the u.s and mexico and canada there are ways to rethink these business problems so that they are not at the detriment of the of the economies of these countries
2: yeah and i think that's actually the key dan i think the the, the, the aspect in it is we we're at trough right now of, of, of the value of it versus the cost of mega events to some degree brought on by security to some degree brought on by the dangers just of of the world around it in any given moment and to some degree just by overblown building budgets that, that never, that never, or that seldom deliver. But I should also point to, you know, back into the 1980s, uh, we saw that we saw the Olympic movement, and the world cup sort of deliver on their promise a number of times and, uh, kind of save their movement after the seventies. And we thought sort of after the M games, Mexico city, Montreal, Munich, and, uh, and Moscow sort of ended, uh, ended sort of the, the desire of people to bid on on these events. Los Angeles reinvigorated the entire movement, and larger and larger cities had grander visions. So I think the idea is we, we we can't we can't discount the desire of people to want to host these, to, to look at urban transformation, to look at the opportunities. But I do think we have to be careful of how overblown these can become, and and be be more sanguine about what one gets from these games. So. The idea that you, we can transform our our, our our country by looking at our bids differently or transform the, the, the cooperation between our countries, a like Canada-U.S.-Mexico uh, bid, that could have really profound consequences, including maybe maybe sort of reestablishing relations between those three countries at that point in a variety of ways. So I think sport has the answer. It's not always the problem, but I think it has the
0: answer to, the, to
2: unlock that oftentimes,
0: too. Andrew? Yeah, I, I just think that it's irresponsible to suggest that the way to move a country's development forward uh, is to host an Olympic Games. It, uh, that, that's that's the that's the hope that's been put out there perennially that countries have bought into, and it it, it simply makes no sense what, whatsoever. What rest- if, if there is planning to be done for a city, if there are good developments for a city to make, uh, they can make them without hosting the games. Hosting the games themselves inevitably end up uh, spending billions of dollars on venues that, that don't have a long-term use. And the, the fact that they don't have a long-term use is, is – uh, the reason why they hadn't been built before the Olympics that the city doesn't have the sporting activities and doesn't have the uh, the fan base with the wealth in order to support them so I I think that uh, it's correct to say that under proper circumstances and very special circumstances that hosting the Olympic Games might not be an economic catastrophe for city I, I think that's true for instance for Los Angeles but uh, to hold out the hope that this is going to be a vehicle for economic development and for the uh, uh, peaceful cooperation politically across countries, uh, I, I just think is silly.
1: What responsibility do you think, Andrew, that the IOC needs to take in this? Because they're obviously the ones that, that are kind of farming these out uh, you know, every four years uh, to, to various cities. Well, I don't think we can rely
0: upon the IOC to take responsibility. Right. It, would, it, it, it would be nice if they did. And, and to the extent that their reputation is at stake, um, and we, we saw this with their Agenda 2020 uh, that they passed in December of 2014, where they said, oh, yes, we're totally committed to having financially viable games, and we're totally committed to having games that are sustainable, and we're totally committed to not having waste Um, they said all of that. They didn't really implement any of it, but they need to have a positive reputation. If they don't have a positive reputation, they lose their sponsorship and they start to lose their fan base. So to the extent that there are outcries, uh, they're going to reform themselves. But should we sit back and wait for them to carry the ball here? No, I don't think we can. Uh, Other things have to be done. Bob?
2: Uh, I think the IOC is running a certain risk in this process and and i think one of the ways would be to reform the host city contract process the ioc has been fairly predatory in that process uh, basically uh taking many of the resources and assets that would would fuel a successful local hosting opportunity and making them international to the ioc uh but i also think they they, they they're now running a, a bigger risk and this may be a positive in the long term if you if you're taking away or punishing nations or sanctioning nations in the Olympic movement, you probably push them off the bidding uh, the bidding platform in the years to come. And I think that may turn into be a positive effect, is that you'll, you'll take out countries who are, who are trying to make outlandish bids and, and, and really taking pie-in-the-sky opportunities. And it may bring what I describe as some, some, some sanity back into the Olympic movement, uh, which would be more sustainable.
0: There, there's a connection of all of this back to this doping scandal that we started out talking about, and that is that uh, Thomas Bach became the president of the IOC in yep. 2013 with a very strong support from Russia. He was reelected this year for another four-year term, again, with a very strong support of Russia, in part that had to do with, with his uh, orchestrating the foot dragging of, of penalizing Russia uh, after the discovery from the McLaren report about the systemic doping that was going on. In 2021, Bach will be up for his final term, a third four-year term, and he will want the support of Russia. At least he won't want the opposition of Russia. Right, um, and, and so... Uh, I think that that in part explains the uh, the lenience uh, and the flexibility in this sanction of of Russia vis a vis-, vis the athletes. Yeah. Be, um, so be- we, we, we'll, we'll we'll see uh, Russia either Saint Petersburg. Or Sochi will be candidates for hosting the Summer Olympics in in 2032, and that's going to have some role in how all of this goes plays out going forward.
1: And, and the other piece to it is that realistically, with with these athletes kind of being under a neutral banner, that's not going to stop Vladimir Putin in any way, shape, or form from celebrating anybody that actually wins at the uh, at the, at the games coming up here, Andrew. And in fact, you know he will probably, I think, make make an even greater spectacle of the fact that that these are athletes, that they were Russian and they won at the Olympic Games.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot still to be figured out uh, in terms of Russian policy. Are, are, are they going to have state TV broadcast the games? Is is the hockey team going to have, uh, is the Russian ice hockey team going to field a team or not? Are some of the ice skaters uh, and downhill skiers who are world-class going to participate or not? Is Is... Is Putin himself going to discourage these people and say, look, you're not being patriotic if you go? I think there's a lot of stuff to be figured out, and there'll be a lot of discussions behind the scenes, I think, in the coming weeks that will determine.
1: You, you mentioned, Bob, before you know, potential uh, displays by Vladimir Putin and Russia against the games uh, because of, of this ban. The other interesting piece to this is the fact that these games are in South Korea, and certainly there is quite a bit of tension in that region right now between South Korea. Korea, North Korea, China, Russia, and the United States, a- and to do anything surrounding these games probably wouldn't be the greatest idea in general right now.
2: This is this is one of the the, the biggest political pressure cookers for any sporting event in, in, in history, and we have done a lot of sporting events on, on, on the fringe in political pressure cookers. Uh, so this is probably the boldest uh, and, and most uh, almost biggest throwback. In a way, that plays into Putin's narrative to some degree. Uh, the, the, the era he grew up in was the era of the Soviet state system uh, triumphing in, in, in many international competitions. Uh, He's lost that a little bit here, so it, it remains to be seen what he'll do. But this is one of the hottest of hotspots to hold a, a, a giant sporting event. And with with enormous risk so this is uh yeah. this is un, un, uncharted territory for anybody
0: Andrew well I'm not I mean I understand that uh, and it's it's certainly something that people have to be cautious about careful about but by the same token um, I I don't think North Korea particularly uh, given China's position uh, w- which is against any in, encroachments here by North Korea um, uh, I don't think that North Korea would would choose the moment of of the in February of of the Olympic Games to ex- express its its military or its nuclear strength. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, what what Kim Jong Un is I think doing is trying to uh, deter a an effort for re- regime change in North Korea by by brandishing his nuclear weapons. Um, he's, I, don't, I don't see how that, that goal is accomplished by uh, any interference in, in, in the Winter Olympic Games.
1: Great having you both uh, back with us again. Andrew, thank you very much. Bob, as well, thank you for your time today. Thank you, Dan. A pleasure, Dan.
0: For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.